Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. I'm Frank. I'm Jeff. And we have a great guest today, Ed Pryor. Hello. Who is a, a function tester. Yes, I am. And we want to start with a very important question. Have you been called to talk on expert advice for Z? No, I haven't. What is that? I'm I'm so glad you asked. Uh, expert advice for Z is this uh, pretty neat thing. You go out to this website, ibm.biz slash Z underscore consult. Uh, you fill out a little web form. It says, hey, this is the thing I'm working on. I'm kind of stuck on this. I could use some help. Um, you say, this is the best way to contact me. This is the best time to contact me. And IBM will set you up with an expert to get a hold of you and say, hey, uh, let's let's try to get you through this thing. Not a replacement for your IBM rep or for opening up defects. It's uh, just somebody to, to help you out. Yeah, and maybe you just have a question about how something works. Not something that is stopping you, but you just really want to understand something a little better. Yeah, I, I saw online this thing would be really easy, and uh, it's um, I'm, I'm just having a little bit of trouble. I could use a little bit of help here. <laughs> so, you know, Ed, in, in the future, somebody might be contacting you and saying, hey, can we uh, put you in touch with people? And you'll, of course, say? Of course. Exactly. And that's because, you know, a lot of the people who are on ter- Terminal Talk are recognized as experts. Yes, experts to give out advice for Z, even. <laughs> Hence the name, Expert, Expert Advice for, for Z. Z. I think I wonder if that'll show up in the transcript as together. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah. Can't wait. That's IBM.biz slash Z underscore consult. Cool. Moving right along. Uh, you are a function tester. Indeed I am. So what how is that different from, say, our system testers or or some of the other people we've had on the show? Yeah, I test things all the time. I mean what's what what what's what makes what's you the deal? special? Yeah, what makes you so special? Well the way uh, the way it breaks down is there's sort of three layers of test that go on around these parts. Uh, we've got our unit test, which is probably the kind of test you've done where you get your code working and you run some situations and scenarios through it and you see it comes out fine on the other side. Great. Uh, your system test is you take that code and you put it on a live system with live workloads and code and data flying every which way and stress everywhere. And that's cool. Really good to see how stuff interacts together with other moving parts. Where I live is sort of between those two areas in the function test realm, where I bring up a test system, but all I'm really focusing on is the interaction between the code you wrote and the rest of the system in a more sterile environment, I'll call it. Uh, so... I bring up a live system, I put the code on it, I test it with all kinds of nefarious scenarios. So, you know, like you, Jeff you, using your code or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, you know, I, you wrote that delightful function to find the maximum value in a list, and I give it a list full of zeros or a list with nothing in it. That's, oh, that that's is the evil. kind of stuff I <laughs> that throw is towards evil. it. A list containing only the letter A would be a great thing <laughs> to throw at it. <laughs> See, he's very experienced. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, on the show. My, my favorite test was always just to uh, change the clock on the system. <laughs> That's a good one, too, and I've uh, been doing that one a lot recently. Nice, nice. <laughs> so, function tester, what do you function test? Uh, I function test mostly allocation, SMF, and scheduler stuff. Wow, allocation. Mm-hmm. That's... I know what one of those three things yeah, is. That's, that's about money, isn't it? Allocation. Yeah. I wish it was about money because I would t- test allocating me more money every day. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. I'm going home. <laughs> so what is allocation? 
allocation uh, that goes down into the into your JCL. You know everything on that DD statement, or if you're doing assembly programming, your dynamic allocation call. It's all about getting access to your data set so your program can do something to it. Right. Does that also um, do you use that also when you're trying to create new? Data sets? Yes, it is. It's new. Well, that's your disposition keyword right there. New, old, delete, share, modify. So that's the whole gamut of things you can do to a data set that is, was, or could be. Wow. You have it broken down to verbs and everything like that. I, I like I, that. I, yeah. <laughs> very, very immersed in those keywords it's, right there. It's very philosophical. Hmm. <laughs> I like that. Hmm. Cool. So what actually happens when, you know, when something gets allocated? Like, let's dive into that a little bit more. <clears throat> well, when you do an allocation request, uh, usually you will, well, it depends on what kind of device you're allocating. So are you doing tape or are you doing DASD? Tape. Tape, tape of course. Tape. People still use tape? Of course they do. It's the wow. best and most efficient way to long-term store bulk data. Wow. He's good. He's he good. good. This kid has Jay Brenman written all over him. <laughs> <laughs> Only he's not mean. Yeah, you know I mean, that's true. Yeah, it grows on you. Only been here for about three years, so uh, give it time. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it takes a few dozen years to be nasty like Jay Brenneman. That's true. He cool. won't. He won't ever hear this though. Oh, then, then it's safe. We <laughs> yeah. can even get worse. Yeah. So okay, so tape. Um, I'm allocating some tape. tape. Okay, yeah. you allocate some tape. Um, you specify on your JCL you want this unit, this uh, this number of tracks and cylinders and whatnot uh the system goes out it'll set some some bits in control blocks and check to see if that tape is there and if it's there it'll mark it as in use so no one else can go get it uh it'll come back and you are now free to write and read from that tape not diving too deep into the control blo block structure because one it's complicated and two i can't remember it off the top <laughs> of my head <laughs> and so what's the difference between that and then i'm allocating disk it's similar, except you can have disks in use by, you know, multiple processes, uh. programs. Um, in fact, a lot of them. In fact, that's the main advantage of disk over tape is the parallel access to it. So, uh, well, it makes sense, right? Because tape, you kind of got to go only. Mm -hmm. You got that read write head and you've got to scan across the whole thing. Right. So allocation sounds like it's stuff that we've done for a long time. Is there a lot of change to it still? There's some uh, new and nifty things going on in it. Uh, we are currently looking into, you know, interacting with uh, DB2 a lot. So there's a lot of talk about how can we make things easier for, for databases. You've got all of, you've got a lot of different data you need. It's, oh, sorry. You have a lot of different processes trying to access data on a, relatively small amount of space very quickly so mm. you need a lot of parallel space to get through to your to your database storage so alleviating bottlenecks is a key area of focus right now in allocation um and would that get around or a different way of, rather than opening and closing these connections all the time it's a lot of trying to avoid unnecessary openings and closings okay mm -hmm. so a more efficient use of what we've already got Okay, so the, so it's likely that this will continue for quite some time. You, you'll have a job for a while. Probably. I can imagine people needing to store data and get access to it forever, <laughs> hopefully. I don't know. I think it's just a fad. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> this newfangled data storage. 
ones and zeros and you know back in my day we had punch cards <laughs> hey <Charlie Lawrence. laughs> wait a minute <laughs> i resemble that remark um and the other uh the second thing unless you had some more nope, allegations good, that smf smf yes system management facility it's all about facilities uh, facilities, I love the facilities. Yep. <laughs> it's all about logging what's going on in your system right now so to, to somebody who's um, kind of new to the platform, like, okay, I, I get logs, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can, you know, understand that. What's this SMF thing? Why would I ever want to use that? Well, there's a couple of different reasons you might want to use it. First, SMF generates a record for basically every event that can happen in your system. So you can use this as an audit trail to find out when the nefarious hacker broke in and started mucking with your data. At Big Indian Smalls. <laughs> <laughs> At Soldier of Fortran. Um, but also, there's uh, different applications. So right now, a thing we've been focusing on a lot recently is the um, new workload billing groups. Those leverage mm-hmm. the SMF Type 89 record and a lot of the containerized information that's stored in those. So they consume those records to help build the different groups and containers necessary to track and audit that data. So what type of information would, would go into that? Is it just like, I'm part of this workload group, I'm part of this container? Effectively, yes. That's a lot of what goes on in there. Have you been working a lot with uh, with uh, the SCRT people? Uh, didn't, we have a, didn't we have Andrew on? Yeah, oh, we did. So, yeah. Yeah. We, ha- we have been working pretty closely with them for about a year or so now to try and get this product in flight, and it seems to be going pretty well so far. It's a really important uh, com- new component of the way we do things on Z because we've had a number of guests on the show who have talked about how their tuning has been focused not on the fastest way to do things, but rather the least expensive way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, th- so that kind of work is very, very important. Yes. Um, as we try to drive people to not have to spend so much time worrying about money um, although I'm sure people will always be worrying about money, to have it be a little bit clearer. So would you say that that is most of where you've been working in this space, or is there other areas in SMF that have been kind of moving? The, it's surprisingly, I haven't done a lot of work on the containerized pricing item. Uh, the SCRT folks, they tackled the initial testing effort and handed it off to us for maintenance. Uh, we have a couple of items in the air that we're going to add on as the uh, as the cycle goes on. Uh, lately, um, I've been working a lot with digital signatures and SMF records. Hmm. Uh, so that's the signing and cryptography behind keeping your records secure. I've uh, been doing a little tinkering in that space. Um, another thing I've been working on is uh, your SMF Lim XX Parmlab member. That sounds that sounds pretty extreme and radical. <laughs> it is extremely <laughs> radical, but it's not triple X. No, only double X. Only double X because okay. we had to fit it within that eight character limit. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so what the heck is that? Uh, so that is um, sort of an, uh, getting away from your assembler exits. Right, we are using SMF Lim to try and control what jobs run on your system using a ParmLab member instead of exits to control run, don't run. Huh. Uh, so one example would be uh, there, are, there are filters and, key, and attributes 
in this Parmalife member. So you can have a filter of job name, job name EB prior, for example. Uh, and you could have any job or a filter set up that any job with that name will not execute on your system because apparently I'm not allowed to run on your system. Right. Um, there are other different things. So um, you could filter jobs by, by class um, and a whole other slew of different filters. And you can apply different attributes to these, like how much memory it's allowed to get, how much storage it can use, how much time it can run for, will it issue a message if filters are applied, that sort of stuff. So th that's kind of interesting because a lot of uh, companies have really relied on creating and managing their exits mm -hmm. to to keep their system running um, in in a manner that works for them from a business perspective. Yep. And would you say this this is really focused on um, eliminating a lot of code that they've been writing? It's not necessarily an elimination. I'm a firm believer that assembly is a great language to write in and work with. Uh, so I'm not we're trying to say we should eliminate it. But we are trying to make it a little easier to get new stuff running on the platform. And as a sidetrack here, I do a lot of work going out to schools, talking to recent graduates or soon-to-be-recent graduates, trying to convince them to look at IBM and look at Enterprise and look at other industrial computing solutions like us as a potential place to get work. And a lot of things you see are, yeah, assembly is not what, something I like working with, which I find completely unbelievable. <laughs> uh, but with, with this, you know, your, your new hires who maybe aren't as steeped in assembly as I got, they will have a more easy transition because it's already kind of a jarring transition to go into an IBM system from, you know, working with uh, Eclipse-based plug-in systems or doing JavaScript development for web. So helping ease that transition, definitely a very important step. Hmm. Well, th this is kind of an interesting turn. Um, I I'd like to kind of drill down that that model. First of all, uh, you, you love Assembler, yes. which is not something we hear a lot from people your age. I may be slightly brain damaged. <laughs> <laughs> well, what started, can you kind of talk a little bit about how you got started with Assembler? Yeah. Um, well, I, I've, I've had a long and storied college career. I've been to a few of them. Um, I started out, you know, with electrical engineering as what I thought I wanted. And from that, I gathered, one, I suck at electrical engineering. <laughs> uh, and two, boy, I really liked those classes where it was, playing with microcontrollers and wiring up uh, digital circuits down at the chip level. So, okay, that's cool. So as I transitioned from electrical engineering to computer science, um, I ended up at SUNY Orange for a couple of years to get my associates. Uh, I had a professor there who was really an interesting guy. He firmly believed that to properly educate someone in computers, you start at the bottom and work your way up to the top of the stack. So that's start down at the assembly hardware level, and you earn your way up the stack till you get to your Java and your Python. I like this guy. Yeah, me too. He's a cool guy. <laughs> I liked him a lot. But uh, so, so you so you started by wiring stuff, mm -hmm. uh, and then you then you learned assembler soon after that, or did you do actual? There was uh, gate coding before that. So I did take the digital electronics gate coding with VHDL um, right at the same time I started at SUNY Orange. Um, even though he liked that methodology, that professor was not really 
able to implement it in the class scenario because if you start with assembly, you're not going to have any students left over by the time you get to the later <laughs> course tracks. So he did start teaching us in Java, but made sure to emphasize on day one, have me draw a rectangle on the board. Then he held his whiteboard marker up there and had us direct him painstakingly through the process of drawing that <laughs> rectangle. It took about half an hour to get to the point where we had most of a rectangle up there. It's not so easy. No, it's not so easy. So that's how we got started. Um, And then when it got time to take assembly, I was just hooked on it. You know, that's the class where it's like, sure, I was pulling an all-nighter, but I liked pulling that all-nighter. It's because I wanted to, not because I had to. So why did you start doing the coding as opposed to, you know, more of the hardware kind of thing? What what drove Mm -hmm. you to software when it sounds like you would have really enjoyed doing some of the hardware work as well. Robotics is really what drives me around. So that's my sort of passion project there is tinkering with robots um, and these days Internet of Things, anything with sort of a sensor and a device attached to it to record data and react to it. Hmm. So um, I love doing that stuff. That's what drove me to electrical engineering. And it turns off, you know, I veered a little bit off course there. It wasn't quite what I wanted. So corrected over to CS, which it seems to be how I would get into robotics in the future. And I do a lot of tinkering on the side, Raspberry Pi, Lego Mindstorms, all that stuff. Bought a 3D printer kit and put it together in my apartment. See, he's one of our people. Yeah, he is definitely one of our people. <laughs> a real geek. Yeah. <laughs> Huge nerd also works. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> how big is the, uh, what size is the printer? The printer is pretty substantial. Um, it's a it's a delta shaped printer, so we have the um, triangular platform with the tall tower. So uh, the print bed is about a four inch radius, um, and we've got about a foot of vertical space on that. So it's not insubstantial. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. I so, also happen to maintain our supply of printer bot per- printers down in my office, keep them in good shape for when we need to donate them off to schools. Oh, cool. Nice. So you said you, you talked to um, a lot of new hires or people who are about to, to enter the workforce. Yes. What, what is your message to them to get them to understand the value of doing something that isn't JavaScript? Mm-hmm. So I always like to tell them about, you know, how – deep we are embedded into the most important aspects of modern living, right? Anytime Mm. you swipe your card, you are leveraging our system in one way, shape, or form. So that is a great way to to give them that sense of impact, like, whoa, really? You know, like, I swipe my card five five times a day. You mean I'm accessing a mainframe a minimum of that number of times? And then you look at the Starbucks line at lunchtime, you know, (laughs) 50 people deep thinking that's so many transactions right there for just one location you scale that up it's just an incredible sense of importance and i don't know what another word another adjective i'd use to describe (laughs) it is but it's just a wow factor right there and then there's the fact that this is a pretty innovative place to work right we have the luxury of the ability to explore our own little projects on the side for digging patents out of those and just what if we did this we go check it out and say Oh, that's what happens. It's a phenomenal resource to have at your disposal at a job. What, what other areas um, within Z you know, or within the company are you kind of like interested in? Okay. Um, I have 
uh, in addition to robotics, I also have an interest in machine learning. So right. that's an aspect of the company I keep a pretty close eye on. Um, I also happen to know, well, I know a lot of people over in the Isota area. You know, they're working on Conda and all that stuff. So uh, I talk to them pretty frequently and love to hear the stories they're telling about getting all these Python workloads running on Z. I think that's truly fascinating. Um, and I also really do enjoy, honestly, just working with, you know, the people down in BCP, working with Jez and iOS. You know, it's nice to be that close to the metal. And you said this is your first job. Um, did you have other opportunities uh, that you were focusing on? Yes. And what brought you to IBM? Well, timing was a big uh, <laughs> component of it. So I, I, went, I got my bachelor's at SUNY Potsdam. And in my senior year, I was crashing the Clarkson Career Fair with a bunch <laughs> of other guys. We were not invited, but we showed up anyway. Um, and while I was there, I had a great talk with Greg Lacey at the IBM table, but yeah. I also passed around a bunch of other resumes. Um, and then after the career fair, I we went over to the local bar and we we're having some drinks. Unfortunately, I left my phone at the table when I went over to the bathroom, came back to a missed call. So there goes the place in Minnesota that was launching satellites. <laughs> <laughs> um, that night, I got a call back from Greg Lacey, set up an interview for the next day, and that's what led to IBM. But over the course of the next couple of months, other companies got back to me. Um, the most interesting of those was the Air Force Research Lab in uh, Rome, New York. Uh, they actually were very interested in me and I was interested in them but by the time they got back to me to schedule an interview uh, I had already received an offer from IBM and I'm like okay I <laughs> I kind of got to go with the ones that have already offered me something because it was getting kind of later getting close to the wire and if it didn't pan out with the Air Force I didn't want to lose this opportunity right. Right. Um, there were a couple other places there was a a company in Burlington that uh, worked on um, beverage distribution software. They were an interesting place to to look. Um, in Schenectady, there was a firm there that also seemed like they'd be they built applications for education systems. They seemed pretty interesting. Sounds like you wanted to stay in New York, though. I do like New York a lot. New York is a pretty fun place to be. <laughs> Grew up here, born and raised. Especially Poughkeepsie, because yeah. it's like the garden spot, right? We got all four yeah. seasons. <laughs> this week, even. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you've, you've really only been here a few years. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to somebody who's just kind of starting out? Well, are we talking starting out here or starting out anywhere? Well, let's start out... Um, Anywhere. And then anywhere. we'll focus on it. Well, if you're starting out anywhere, find yourself someone you can call a technical mentor. It's absolutely vital to have that guy or gal you can go to and say, I'm having trouble with X. Do you know anything about it? And if they're willing to help you out day or night whenever you are stuck, that is the best thing you can get out of a company. So you want to shout out your technical mentor? I would like to give a shout out to Scott Ballantyne, uh, who sat behind me in the office for the last three years, giving me help with absolutely everything I needed help with. <laughs> wow. Yeah, He's off me. teaching uh, the Z education in Building 3 right now, getting our next crop of new hires up to snuff. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And, and, and then if you're working in IBM, what would be the advice that you give? Look for side projects or other opportunities to grow outside of your little box, right? So I have my 
function testing for allocation and SMF box that I live in. But I've also branched out in a couple of different ways. Like I ran a Raspberry Pi lab for the BCP um, last year. That was a huge hit. I ran it on Pi Day. I got the management to give us Pi. Everyone loved it. <laughs> it was Pi, Pi, and Pi. Um I also, you know, looked for opportunities to go work with other areas. I did some function testing for service aids when they were a little short-handed. Um, I've talked with other areas about projects they have. I weigh in whenever it's appropriate for them. So I try to keep myself diversified and up-to-date on everything around me. And that may seem like a lot of work, but at the same time, you learn so much while you're doing it. In three years. There you go. Three years. That's yep. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Can can you also describe a little bit about um, areas that you wish you knew before you started? What, mm. what were those gotchas? Okay. Um, I wish I'd spent a little more time in college working on my low-level programming. Like, I loved assembly, but I kind of skipped over that C, C++ tier. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes, you know, I've got to scratch my head a little bit when I'm reading through some, some PLX code and some low level but not quite assembly level code because it's like uh don't don't quite have as much experience there so that's a great way that you know i work with raspberry Pis. i like to work in c on those to make sure that i'm getting that exposure i started writing my own gpio library on a Pi so that i knew what i was doing um other things that i wish i had known more about though um agile practices I was exposed to them a lot in school. Didn't really internalize a lot of them because I was focused more on shipping the project for class as opposed to learning the methodology behind it. So paying attention to those would have been more useful than spending all that time cramming in the last couple of lines of code. (laughs) But in general, really, I had a good exposure to most topics while I was out in school. Cool. And when you when you want to learn something, you know, in in 2018 or maybe 2019 when this episode comes out, <laughs> um, we have a little bit of a backlog. Uh, like, what is your preferred learning method? Do you hit the books? Do you just Google something? You know? I like to try and take on a, a self learning whenever I can. So, if I can find a project to work through that will exercise that particular muscle I'm trying to train, that's what I would do. So, like when I want to learn C, I said I'm going to write a GPIO library for my Pi. It's been done already. I could just use what other people have done, or I could write it myself and learn more about the ARM chip, working with C, allocating memory, memory mapped registers, and all that stuff at the same time. See, you can do more with the Pi than just run you know, arcade emulators on it. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely can. <laughs> yeah, it makes me feel a little inadequate with mm-hmm. the Flask stuff I've been doing on mine. So. Yeah. Cool. So yeah. we're getting to the bottom of the hour here. Uh, so I want to thank you very much, Ed, for for uh, kind of talking about the stuff you did. Um, and uh, that's about it, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm no no, uh, no questions you got? No minutes no. here. Okay. No, we're, we're, we're up to date. We're square. Perfect. <laughs> Old Man Charlie, run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at terminaltalk.net. That's contact at terminaltalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off.